نحمده ونسلي على رسوله الكريم عما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل أقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربي زدني إلما ربي زدني إلما ربي زدني إلما السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to Journey Through the Quran by Ikna Sisters and today we start with a very powerful surah that describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it describes the concept of Tawheed that is the belief in the oneness of Allah. It describes Allah's perfections, His attributes, the names, His glory, His majesty and this surah is Surah Al-An'am. It is narrated by Ibn Abbas that Surah Al-An'am was revealed at night in full with 70,000 angels around, raising their voices with glorification for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. According to another narration of Ibn Abbas, the whole Surah was revealed at one sitting at Makkah. During the revelation of the Surah, the Prophet was riding a she-camel and the she-camel began to feel the weight so heavy that it seemed that her bones would break under it. Uh, there's another relation where Anas ibn Malik uh, quotes the Prophet ﷺ as saying, Surah Al-An'am was revealed with a great many um, angels in attendance, blocking the horizon, raising their voices with Allah's glorification, and the earth shaking under them. So this great procession of angels, the this earth shaking, the weight of the she-camel, all of this shows us how the surah proceeds to create an amazing impression with the use of scenes and inspirations and rhythm which flow like uh, waves one after the other. In fact, the whole body of the surah is a continuous unit with, with a flow to it like um, a flowing river or waves in the ocean that come uh, to us without any barriers or, or obstacles. So surah al-an'am addresses the basic primary, most fundamental questions for humanity. These questions uh, are the, about our existence in our universe, our ultimate purpose, why are we here? It also addresses the essential question which deals with our relationship between us and our Rabb, our Creator. So to start developing an understanding of the Surah, we need to first understand the basis of Islam. Now Islam in its entirety is based on Tawheed, the belief in oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all its systems and laws branch out of this essential principle. So you can look at Islam like a high great tree with thick and wide branches. And to flourish, it must establish its roots deep into the earth and spread them over a wide area. That is why after going through very, uh, some very harsh uh, laws and regulations in Surah Nisa and Maida, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings our attention back to the root of everything, the belief in La ilaha illallah, which needs to be deeply rooted in one's heart. When the belief in La ilaha illallah penetrates deep into the hearts of people, the system based on it will also become well established. This system becomes our deen, our way of life. Surah Al-An'am helps to firm this resolve of Iman and it gives it a purpose and complete confidence on the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's go back to the early days of Islam. The Muslims in Makkah did not have any power or autonomy to organize their life as a community, right? So laws and regulations were not given to them in Makkah. The revelations in Makkah only strengthened their aqidah in Tawheed, Risala, and Akhirah. 
But when the Muslim Islam, uh, Muslims established their state in Medina, now they had power, right? The laws were given to them and a system was outlined to establish these laws. Then Islam began to face the practical needs of the Muslim community. So Surah Al-An'am and other such Makki Surahs, they beautify the inner personality of, of the Muslims. Whereas the Madani Surahs, uh, like uh, we've read, uh, we've gone through Surah Baqarah and Imran and Nisa and Maida, they beautify the outward dimensions of a Muslim. So at the time uh, when the Prophet received the message of Islam, the Arabian society was in depths of corruption. A few leader tribes monopolized all wealth and commerce, and the wealthy also enjoyed a power, a position of power, honor, and distinction, right? They were able to multiply their, their wealth through usury and unfair dealings, whereas the great majority of people were poor and hungry and were deprived of respect in the society. And oppression was the rule of the, of the day. This is especially clear in the poetry of Zuhair ibn Abi Sulma, who writes, um, whoever does not defend his property with arms will find it plundered, and whoever does not oppress others will find himself to be oppressed. Drinking and gambling were recognized as social traditions and promiscuity in various forms was common practice in the society. So Prophet ﷺ was distinct, distinguished in his community at that time for his honesty and truthfulness, right, and his good character. The leaders of Quraysh had earlier made him an, a mediator in a dispute that threatened to cause a civil war, and they were very pleased with his decision and judgment. Moreover, um, he also belonged to a leading family in the Quraysh. So it would have been easy for him to launch uh, an Arab nationalist movement without preaching the message of Islam. Uh, he could have rallied the support of the tribes around um, in Arabia, around Mecca, and then you know made them go ahead liberating themselves from the colonial rule of the Byzantines and the Persians. He could have been in a position to establish a strong and unified Arab state throughout the, throughout the Arabian Peninsula. Um, this would have provided the Arabs more power and wealth overall. And in turn, this would have spared the Prophet ﷺ and his companions 13 years of torturous opposition by the Quraysh. Right? After that, every everyone would have submitted to his claim of being a prophet and they would have instantly believed in, in the message of Islam. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not will it that way because he did not want to replace Byzantine or Persian tyranny with Arab tyranny. You know, because tyranny in the end is tyranny. The earth belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what we need to understand. And that everyone on this earth needs to submit purely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not to any other power or source or force, sorry. The Muslims were eventually to become one of the superpowers of the world, but not before their hearts were firmly rooted in the concept of la ilaha illallah. Then they would be able to implement the laws of justice and carry out the commands of Allah and not look for their own power and their own greed, right? So this surah, Surah Al-An'am, starts with um, the ayah, All praise is for Allah alone who created the heavens and the earth and brought into being light and darkness. Now this powerful opening touches the heart and mind of a Muslim, right? Starting with Alhamdulillah, praise to Allah, and then pointing towards the creation of the universe. 
Now, images of galaxies and stars and um, uh, planets orbiting uh, and rotating, they, they come to my mind. All of them obeying the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the phenomena that results from these rotations and revolutions of these planets is the occurrence of day and night, the light and darkness, right? Now, this itself speaks of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His majesty. And, and yet there are so many who refuse to believe in Him and acknowledge His oneness, right? So the surah goes on to describe the stubborn attitudes of the disbelievers. When they demanded that the message of the Quran should have been brought on pieces of paper so that they could touch and verify that this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They also demanded that an angel would be sent directly with the message instead of giving it to Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as if uh, these would have made them believe in, in the message. The Quran answers them by saying that if the message was brought down on pieces of paper, they would have called it source, sorcery. And if an angel was sent down, he would have been in the form of a man too, and they would have rejected him. And there is proof in history that many nations have rejected the message, even after the messengers had brought to them many miracles that they had demanded. Right? So even so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has committed himself to bestow mercy. And mercy is the biggest blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why even after we stumble and fall and make so many mistakes, he doesn't punish us, subhanAllah. Allah forgives us for all our sins every time we repent to him. And it is recorded in, in two sahih hadiths that um, by the narration is by Abu Huraira. Uh, he says that the Prophet ﷺ said, When Allah created the creation, he wrote in a book that he has with him above his throne. My mercy overcomes my anger. And we see this evident in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he rewar rewards us 10 times for a good deed that is committed. And anyone who um, commits a bad deed will be punished for only one. And even forgiven for that after he or she repents for it, right? So the Quran was revealed as a sign of Allah's mercy where he has shown guidance for the ones who are ready to accept the truth. But the disbelievers would always reject out of prejudice. And they would say, these are nothing but tales of the ancient times. Such people, they don't want to use their intellect for reasons, but they want to follow their forefathers, um, the, re the religions or the steps of their uh, previous um, ancestors just blindly. And yet they call the Quran the stories of ancient times. In one incident, it was reported that in order to give more credence to their lies about the Quran and to turn people away from it, a man uh, like Malik ibn al-Nadr, who had learned some Persian legends, used to sit at a short distance from the Prophet ﷺ when he recited the Quran. And after the Prophet ﷺ had finished, he used to say to his audience, if Muhammad could tell you some old stories, I can tell you better ones. And he would then relate to them some epic stories that he had learned, hoping that he would distract them from listening to the Quran, right? So another aspect of Allah's mercy is the description of Akhirah that is given in the Quran, so that people can be reminded. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am, the life of this world is nothing but a game and a distraction. The home in the hereafter is best for those who are aware of Allah. Why will you not then understand? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains that 
only those who listen with open minds and hearts, they receive Allah's guidance. And they see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the animals that walk on the earth and the birds that fly using their wings. And how all these animals and insects, they live in communities just as human beings do. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not left any type of his creation without providing for it, with an elaborate plan for them to organize themselves. He provides everything, every living thing on this earth with its needs. And at the end of it all, every creature on this earth will be gathered for judgment towards their Rabb. In comparison, those who do not uh, acknowledge these signs or those who ignore them, they are compared to people who have closed minds and they don't understand the signs like the people who are deaf and dumb, living in many layers of darkness. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the surah that he has given people several reminders from history of mankind. And even then the trials that they encounter do not persuade them to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His blessings in terms of success and prosperity which they enjoy do not prom uh, prompt them to be grateful and to guard themselves against evil and sin. This is because their hearts have been hardened and their nature has become so corrupt that it has opened the way for shaitan to misguide them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he would punish such nations only after giving them complete success and wealth so they, they could serve as a reminder for others to take a lesson in them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the surah, Do not drive away those who call on their Rabb morning and evening, seeking only to win his pleasure. Now this incident was reported by Saad ibn Abi Waqqas, a prominent companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He says that six of us were with the Prophet ﷺ when the unbelievers came to him and said to him, drive these people away so that they are not encouraged to go above their standing uh, with us. Um, Saad ibn Abi Waqqas says that with me were Abdullah ibn Masood, a man from a tribe from Hudayl. Bilal and two other, uh, pe these people were the ones who were poor. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa this verse um, from Surah Al-An'am. Do not drive away those who call on their Rabb uh, morning and evening. So the Quraysh in their uh, arrogance used to say that if the message that Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has brought, if it was true, it we would have been ahead uh, in embracing it and God would have certainly guided the rich and the powerful right but this was a test uh, for them by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they were arrogant because of their wealth and status but couldn't appreciate their Rabb who had bestowed these favors on them because faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demanded that they treat everyone with justice and equality and so this was the ugly face of racism and bigotry which attached importance to the color of the skin, nationalism, social standing, wealth and class. So even today, the values of racism, uh, they're still hold valid in, in the United States, right? In one report, the United Nations and the U.S. Human Rights Network states that the discrimination in the United States permeates all aspects of life and extends to all communities of color. While some views held by average Americans have changed over the past uh, several decades, 
Surveys by some organizations have found that even in modern America, about uh, one in 10 people admitted to holding prejudice against blacks, Hispanics, Latino Americans, and Muslims. So when the Prophet ﷺ brought the message of Islam uh, to the people of Arabia at that time, uh, the Quran, it brought the message of equality for all. And the reflection on this message opened up the hearts of people, right? And they, and the ones who believed in it, they rose above uh, from the depths of such arrogance. And this is also what we see when uh, we go through the uh, biography of Malcolm X. And when he became a true believer in Islam, he said that he saw Islam displaying a spirit of unity and brotherhood that in my experiences in America had led me to believe never could exist between the white and the non-white. Subhanallah. Then the surah again describes the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that he has the keys to the unseen and none knows but he does. And he knows what is on the land and in the sea and there is not a leaf which falls that he does not know about it. And there is not a grain in the darkness of the earth or anything green or dry which has not been recorded in the clear book. Subhanallah. Dear sisters, our limited understanding cannot even reach the scopes of the unseen. Only recently human beings have made observations of far-off stars and galaxies. Once atoms were thought to be the smallest particles um, in this universe, right? Now, now the scientists were able to break them into further smaller particles. And now the smallest particle of matter is known as quarks. Um, but they have not been directly observed also. They're only theorized by the scientists, right? SubhanAllah. So only Allah knows the realities of matters and the existence. But belief in the unseen is part of our iman. And the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds the keys or knowledge of all unseen is part of the belief in Tawheed. Now the story of Ibrahim salam is mentioned here where he gives arguments for this Tawheed, right? He looks at the stars but it fades away and then he directs himself at the moon but it soon also sets and then he sees the sun which is bigger and brighter than the other two right and then it also fades away and so he uh, declares to his people i am free of your associating partners with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with these arguments ibrahim salam he invites his people towards the tawhid as we reach the middle of surah al-an'am Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions a bouquet of the names of some of the prophets uh, that were honored by him. Uh, they were entrusted with spreading the message of Tawheed and they also faced hardships in their missions. Um, these names of the prophets uh, form like flowering branches of this huge tree of Islam that we talked about earlier. And it provides reassurances to the efforts of, to, of the believers that are also um, involved in spreading the message of Tawheed, right? They're trying to convey this message of the Quran to every, everyone. So every person struggling to fulfill the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is honored and belongs to the same flowering branches of this tree. We, are the, we all are the followers of these prophets that are honored by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The surah again comes back to describing the perfection in the creation by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through various scenes and inspirations and images and shades and the example of a plant sprouting from a stone seed in contrast with, is contrasted with the uh, giving life to the dead 
and the creation of the day and the night as compared to the setting of the sun and the moon and the creation of the stars as a way of guidance right then the creation of human beings from a single soul uh, is mentioned and the blessing provided on earth is compared to the rain water that uh, that comes down from the sky and how it pours down and produces green crops and various fruits of all varieties uh, and then allah subhanahu wa taala says behold in these things there are signs for true believers then allah subhanahu wa taala gives the example of a person who was dead meaning he was spiritually dead and he was given life and light meaning he was stirred consciously and he was given the guidance the light of the quran this is compared to a person who is in depth of darkness meaning he's under ignorance he's uh, and he doesn't want to come out of there the person who is given life and light is like the one who saw all the signs of allah subhanahu wa taala around him and then he contemplated and used his intellect to create a deeper understanding of his rabb and his originator allah subhanahu wa taala and then he chose the quran as his light and his guidance whereas the other person uh, who chose to remain in the darkness and ignore all the signs of allah subhanahu wa taala around him and he chose to reject reject allah's message allah subhanahu wa taala says whenever there comes to them a sign from allah they say we will not believe until we are given what was given to the messengers of allah allah subhanahu wa taala says how can these two people be the same or have the same outcome right allah subhanahu wa taala opens the chest to whoever wishes to get close to allah and those who turn down allah's message he will make their chest even narrower and constricted to the point that they won't be able to recognize the truth from the falsehood may allah subhanahu wa taala open our hearts to islam amen then the surah straightens out some laws and regulations uh, based on faith these were corrupted concepts within the society of arabia at that time concerning some agricultural produce livestock and children and needed to be flushed out of the hearts of the uh believers some of the awful practices were that the disbelievers would divide the portions of their donations towards allah and the idols but they would also take away some of the portion from what they already gave to allah subhanahu wa taala right and they would put it uh steal from allah's part and put it back to the idols and this was this was a tactic to keep the donations uh with the priest and the caretakers of the idol instead of distributing it to the poor and the needy then they would kill their children um to the idols as it was demanded by the priests and the caretaker and most of the time it were their daughters that were buried alive they would also ascribe um certain cattle to their gods and then make them forbidden to be eaten and ascribe certain ca- uh, cattle forbidden to be used for riding and carrying loads so and so forth and these laws had no basis um and these were basically inventions by their priests and caretakers of the idol the disbelievers would forbid certain things and they would make lawful other things according to their own whims and desires and this is in fact creating a lie against allah subhanahu wa taala and we too need to be careful whenever we decide to call something halal or haram and we need to see whether it was prescribed by allah subhanahu wa taala uh, as such or are we um labeling it according to our own whims and our desires 
So towards the end of um, the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala details some more commandments that are necessary for a dignified human life on earth. First, he mentions not to commit shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Second, to be kind to our parents. Third, not to kill our children due to the fear of poverty. Fourth, not to commit shameful deeds in open or in secret. Fifth, not to harm any soul on this earth except for maintaining Allah's justice. Sixth, to be fair in dealings with orphans. Seven, to be just in business transactions. Eight, to be honest and just. Nine, fulfill the pledges and promises. And last, to follow the right way that was prescribed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not deviate from his commandments. They are all most essential principles of life since they ensure the security and the trust that guarantee the right of every individual on this earth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also promises justice from himself saying, whoever does a good deed shall be credited with 10 times as much and whoever does an evil deed will be requited with no more than it's like none shall be wronged now this uh, reinforces the statement in the beginning of the surah when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he had committed himself to mercy and this is another way that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing his mercy towards us subhanallah now the surah ends with emphasis on our own commitment to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and allah says say my prayers my worship, my living and my dying are for Allah alone, the Lord of the world. He has no partner. Thus I have commanded and I shall be the first of those who surrender towards themselves. My dear sisters, this is a very powerful statement. And every one of us should be able to memorize this ayah and recite it in the morning and evening askars. To remind ourselves of our commitment towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now to summarize, um, Surah Al-An'am talks about the beauty of Islam and the foolishness of idol worshipping. And it uses a lot of imagery and examples to do that, right? And this Surah also addresses the basic human nature and it uses uh, the signs and indicators and pointers that are found around us, right? And within a person and their own fitra. And so that they can contemplate and use their intellect to find guidance from the Qur'an. The surah forces us to change our perspective towards the heavens and the earth and the animals and the birds and the birth of a plant from a seed. And it forces the believer to develop this true understanding of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his true worth. And we learn to appreciate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his signs he has created around us. To follow his commandments means to lead a life of dignity in this world and the hereafter, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed most forgiving and merciful. Wa akhru dawana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulhi al-kareem. Until tomorrow with a new surah. Assalamu alaikum.